Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome back to the Replatform podcast. I hope everyone is well. Um, weather's a bit grumpy today, but we'll try and uh, lift the mood with an exciting topic. So, before I introduce the topic, let's say hello to Paul, my co-host. Uh, Paul, how you doing, mate? Yeah, good. Not too bad, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. How's uh, how's the week? You're mentally busy on uh, a few big launches at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, definitely had a very long week. Yeah, it feels like everything just seems to kind of uh, yeah end up coming together at the same time, which is a bit frustrating. But yeah, um, yeah, not too bad. Though. I feel like um, I'm I'm looking forward to the weekend. Yeah, excellent. The joys of platform migration <laughs> and the last few weeks of uh, of organised chaos. Um, yeah. So today it's just myself and Paul today. We are running a kind of mini-series in the podcast moment around UX uh, related into e-commerce migration. Today, we're going to be drilling into basket and checkout. So this is obviously a critical path of replatforming. Uh, you know, the basket checkout has got work effectively, otherwise you can't sell. But often, find that this is overlooked in terms of designing UX thinking. A lot of time, people think, okay, well, we've, we've got a platform that's got a standard checkout. Uh, let's use that. Great. And focus on the higher end of the funnel things like home pages like the big brand pages but actually the level of detail you need to think about in terms of interactions within uh basket and checkout and basket into checkout is absolutely critical because if you get that wrong you can fundamentally screw your your funnel conversion rate so we're going to look at um some things that we you know we've noticed over the years um pose some questions that people should think about and get into a bit more detail uh does that what do you reckon paul does that give a good enough flavor of what we're going to do yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's just a discussion, really, isn't it? Just in terms of things that we've both seen and kind of consider best practices. Yeah, ra- random banter on a Friday morning um, <laughs> with some sort of direction. So I'll, I'll I'll pose some questions. I'll let you fire off, and then I'll I'll just join in with with any other um, observations I got. But first one is looking at the mini basket. So. This is where often on desktop you'll have a um, persistent basket icon and on um, interaction, like hover over, there'll be a drop down state. Often in uh, a mobile, you don't have like that interim mini bag, you just go straight into the basket. But so mini basket can be a useful tool. So we're going to talk about what's, what, what makes a mini basket useful. So I, I guess, Paul, over to you, some starting points on what good UX looks like for a mini basket. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess at the moment it feels like there's a big trend towards the kind of off canvas equivalent of the mini basket. So where the basket comes in uh, from the usually the right hand side. Um, and I'm kind of 50 50 on this. So I don't really like it personally, but that's just that's just my opinion. But equally, it does give you like a bit more space in terms of kind of the contents of the mini basket. And I think that allows for things like upsells a bit more. Uh, but overall, I've always been quite a big fan of just keeping the mini basket really simple and just having like really clear call to actions for like either uh, progressing into the checkout or moving on to the basket page itself. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of always been my view. What about you? Um, yeah, I guess I've not seen any testing evidence specifically on the slide-out. I've seen slide-out patterns used reasonably well. And so my approach to this is I think it's about what fits with the overall um, UI patterns you bring into the site. If you're getting a user to a specific slide-out pattern for every interaction they do, that isn't core to the page, whether it's um, you know, um, information pop-ups, whatever it might be, live chat interactions. I think if people are used to that slide-out canvas, then actually it makes sense because that's the space they're looking for for additional uh, contextual information. 
I think if you don't use that slide out pattern anywhere else and all of a sudden you bring it in, then maybe that, that jars for the user because they're not expecting it. Yeah. So I think if you're changing from, from the standard, which happens across most sites, which is a simple overlay and it drops down to something different, you need to be testing it because you don't want to be putting people off at that stage. I mean, getting people into basket journeys is important. I think the other thing for me as well is, what is that right? You've got the mini bag where the standard, um, where it's just, I've gone to a main, uh, to the header and I've clicked on the icon. But then you've also got the add to basket um, interaction piece of how that mini bag displays. And I think that needs to be thought through as well, because some sites do it where they you add to basket and then the mini bag drops down and shows it to you and then it disappears others do it where you know the the mini bag icon has a state change and shows there's a product added but the message is shown on page so i think that that part of the mini bag journey is also needs to be thought through yeah i think the other thing so like with a couple of clients recently we've essentially moved away from the mini bag and instead um we've gone with like a kind of add to cart summary overlay, um, which basically just confirms the products added to cart, but it doesn't show the contents of the basket. And then it just shows uh, kind of upsells associated with that uh, product. So um, be it kind of personalized recommendations, product level, or just kind of uh, accessory upsells. Um, yeah, which I think has worked really well. And like that's the only part that I really have numbers on uh, or data on from this. And that's been pretty good in terms of kind of basket value. Um, I was going to say there's one um, example that I was discussing with one of my clients yesterday, uh, which is Kettle and Fire. Um, and they have, like, it's not necessarily like the best site in terms of kind of designing UX, uh, but I think in terms of upsells, it's quite interesting. Um, so basically, dependent on the product you add into cart, you get different types of upsells. And then um, it's also quite nicely done in terms of the subscription upsell as well, if you're adding the right product to cart. Um, yeah, and that's quite a nice example to look at on that side as well. Yeah, that's really nice, actually, because I've, I've just sort of just had a look at that. So I love that subscribe to save 20% now. So it's not just an extra message. It's actually a value proposition for the customer. Yeah. And it changes um, dependent on the product as well. I thought that was pretty good overall. Yeah, I think I mean the hierarchy of it's nice. It's um the, the, the product is there, it's clear, the upsell is not interrupting you being able to see the product that's been added, and simple CTA of checkout with a subtotal price. Yeah. Like that. I think the key thing here is there are different patterns used by different sites. The I guess the most common one is it's a uh, icon at the top that drops down below it. That's the yeah. most common, but it doesn't mean that that should be the, the only uh, option you explore. But I think the key takeaway is, is think about what that interaction is. Think about it from a user point of view. And if, if you're really not sure and you don't have data to back up a decision, two options. Number one is stick with, with what's there and what you know and test after launch. Number two is get some of your customers and do a, a simple bit of user research and find out. Um, it'd be very, you know, sometimes clients use their existing sites to do some quick last minute A-B testing before they make UX decisions on the new launch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think um, my like, I really like ASOS as like a really simple example yes. of what you were saying, which is probably like the standard. Um, just like interact it, uh, kind of hover over um, mini basket and then drag to the top and then display mini basket contents. Um, yeah, but I really like that. It's just a really simple um, kind of yeah, straight to the point, clear example of a mini basket. Yeah, exactly. And I guess the reality is that a lot of big sites that you know that have data and testing driven strategies, 
it doesn't hurt to look at it doesn't mean that it's necessarily the right pattern for you but it you know at least you can watch the evolution of how theirs is changing and learn from it um, cool let's move on to the main basket then so we're transitioning in from mini bag into the main basket what what to use good ux on a main basket page yeah so i guess um it's an interesting one and there's some bits in this that depend um on the uh kind of retailer but i, I think like there's certain things you'd expect to see in a basket so kind of um all kind of um all of the content around kind of shipping costs, tax, all of that kind of stuff, you should be able to kind of edit the basket, like increase, reduce quantity. Um, things like, I think these days, like I'd expect to see upsells potentially or like some form of product recommendations. Um, yeah, kind of estimated delivery as well, potentially. Um, again, dependent on the retailer and like the variables of the product. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably the standard stuff. Um, and then kind of different levels of trust signals and a really clear call to action to then progress into the checkout. Yeah, definitely. Well, a question I've got for you, because this, this has been the bane of many every platform and many an e-commerce team is handling promotion code fields. So the, yeah. the bog standard default is you have a field somewhere on the basket page said a promo code, but there are concerns for some people that by showing that so visibly, it encourages people to think about hunting around for discount vouchers, which can take people out of checkout journeys. So there are concerns. That's why some people over the years have actually switched to creating a um, promotions code um, page on their site to try and get people to not leave the site if they're hunting for a discount. What, what, what is your experience with promo code field? Show them, hide them, yeah. make them discreet. It's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it, I guess. Um, I feel like I've had clients that have, it's probably like 50-50 in terms of like clients that have really wanted to promote the uh, that field um, in terms of like avoiding UX issues and like particularly with uh, some platforms where you'd use that for the gift card as well. So just making it really obvious that it's good from a usability perspective. And then other clients, like you say, who you don't want to kind of promote the idea of using a discount code and then encourage people to go and find one. Um, but I think, the, I think these days I've kind of, I would lean towards just making it obvious. Um, and I don't know whether that's just, um, well, I haven't looked at it enough or I haven't kind of had an, enough issues with people uh, with promo codes um, from a business perspective. But yeah, I think I would go down the route of, I really like if you like the Shopify checkout experience where essentially you have on the cart, you're likely to see the uh, promo code box and then through the checkout, you then within the order summary, you also can use promo codes that I feel like um, the amount that they use these days, like making it obvious is the way to go. What do you think on that? Um, I think it comes down to the, the brand position and the type of product uh, and where you fit in the market. So I've worked with quite a few luxury retailers where discounting is the complete uh, um, antithesis of their brand uh, proposition. And they don't want people to think that they can get discounts to devalue the product. So instead of using a promotion code that's entered as a marketing technique, they use automated promotions targeted very specifically to, to users so that it's, it's not visible. So it's not visible they're discounting, but a customer gets a CRM-based CRM promotion and it's automatically applied based on you know, a URL parameter or the customer group that person's assigned to. And I think that sometimes is 
a much better way of handling discounts and promotions rather than having a very transparent field. Because the last thing you want to do on a real premium retailer is make people think that it's easy to get a discount. Um, yeah. It devalues the, 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 the product positioning. But on other sites, you know, mass market, um, high street, where regular um, price promotions are a, a critical part of driving traffic and acquisition, and fundamentally um, making the promotion code field easily accessible when you're doing loads of marketing campaigns and promo codes is a no-brainer. It likes of Argos is of this world where there's constant promotion activity going on. So I think it really depends on your, your marketing strategy. If the marketing strategy is promo um, code-led, fundamentally your site has got to be transparent about how you enter it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think the only other thing with that is just if it's um, if you if your promo code, but if you're using that same field for gift cards, um, that yeah. in some ways make can I guess it could make it more important to show it. But yeah, I think I completely agree. Yeah, I it's interesting. So I know sometimes where they have promo code field um, and then gift card is later on. Um, so gift card is used later on in the checkout as potential um, payment tender method and we'll come on to that in, in a bit actually about the payment stuff but, um, okay so so main basket page yeah I think what you summarise is, is critical the order summary estimated delivery stuff tra cost transparency order summary editing etc um, let, let's let's move I mean there are other things like being able to display dynamic service messaging um, you know, during COVID-19, that's been a critical thing, like updates and delivery proposition. But um, I think we covered the course. So let's move on. Checkout entry page. And this is another lovely one where I've had so many disagreements about how you enter the checkout. What do you do? It, you know, what's the starting point? Do you have a page where you make it different options for new and returning? Do you make it simpler? What, what is your experience? What, what works effectively to get people into the checkout? Yeah, I think that's um, it's a good question. I guess, like, yeah, it differs a lot, doesn't it? I mean, I'm personally quite a big fan of, like, simplified, stripped-back, three-step checkout. So kind of like the Shopify checkout or the M2 native checkout, um, where essentially you've got that kind of login as part of the uh, first step of the checkout. Um, so I think that's kind of my preferred approach overall, just in terms of kind of like streamlining the process. Um, I think the interesting thing with that whole piece, I know you've got some, um, some notes here around um, kind of the login process. Um, and I think, yeah, that's an interesting one to get right. And I guess a lot of that comes down to comms as well in terms of like guest checkout. And if you have simplified that yeah. part of the process um just uh, if you, for example like m2 you would have an account lookup as part of the email field so just communicating that so people aren't looking for a login for example and also if people want to create an account so if you if you enter a new email that and just make it really clear that you have the ability to create an account post checkout and i think getting that communication right is important because um I feel like I've kind of had examples of projects where that hasn't been perfect and then we've ended up um, improving it as part of like a bit of a checkout improvement project yeah. and I've attributed kind of in, uh, kind of uplift to that. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty key. Um, yeah, and then I guess, yeah, what do you think? Is there any other ones? Uh, yeah, I agree. Simplification for me, from what I've seen in, in, in testing on this is the the more you reduce the steps and whether that's one page checkout or just fewer steps in a linear process and the fewer the, the less content and data fields that draws people's attention away from just entering data and getting on with it the better and um, so 
I mean, when I was at House of Fraser, I saw a really good work in the checkout where they literally, the landing screen became it, just enter your email address and continue, and that was it. And that worked really nicely. The progression rate was much higher than when it was like left-hand side new customers, right-hand side returning customers log in. So the email address is great. I think the key thing for me that often is missing in UX thinking is what are the onward flows? Because it, it splits and you've got to think of different use cases and some are edge and some are core. But if it's I've entered my email address and I'm an existing user, do you force me to log in now? Now, some businesses, there is a rationale by enforcing to log in, like membership organizations and others. You don't have to force them to log in. Like, is, your, is your priority in checkout getting the conversion? If so, don't force the behavior. Let them log in if they want to, but some sites allow you, even if you've got your emails associated with an existing account, they allow you to continue as a guest. But then the flow later on has got to be at order of confirmation stage. Would you like to sign in now um, to associate this order with your account so what is the process because later on down the line a customer is registered who can be bothered to log in it's just flown through and i know it's a real edge case ideally you want their order associated with their account right because if they then find up customer services saying right you know i've got an account where is this order and the customer services say i don't know it's not on your account that's a potential future annoyance so for me it's the detail of thinking you might end up saying no that's too much of an edge case for the effort fine uh, but at least you've done the ux thinking on it yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that makes yeah that makes perfect sense. And I guess the other one is uh, I think that one where forcing someone to log in or not is quite interesting. And I feel like again I've seen pretty much fifty fifty on that recently when I've like bought things uh, where I've had an account and tried to like go through the checkout um, as to whether I'm forced to log in or I can continue to order the same email address and then that order still is pushed into my account. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. The other one, I guess, is like where you were saying kind of it differs for different businesses. We had a client where age verification was really important. And I think that's another example where kind of it adds, it streamlines the process if someone's gone through that process before and then logs in and then just goes straight through. Um, so I guess it's variables really. But I think overall, I really like the, that kind of like clean, simplified checkout. Um, where you kind of essentially have the option to log in or continue or and have the option to create an account or continue but um yeah i, I one thing that i think would be quite interesting uh, and i'm sure there is data available on this um on that that kind of initial first step on entering the email um and then create it like yeah like you say kind of choosing to uh, progress as a guest or uh, creating an account that being a, an isolated first step would be quite interesting to see because I guess there's different benefits. Um, yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see numbers on that. Yeah, exactly. And you look at uh, you know, massive e-commerce brands like ASOS and if you have an existing email address, they prompt you to sign in. You can't yeah. go past that. You can change your email address and use a different one, but you are back into the sign-in. So, you know, I get it makes perfect sense. You would want people ideally to sign into their account if they've already gone to the trouble. And I think the reality is when you look at the behaviour in the checkout flow, most people who have a, an account will sign into their account yeah. rather than try and do guest. But do you want to put some people off? I don't know. Um, again, it's I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think it's just about making a decision. And a lot of this, we know every project we've worked on, a lot of it comes down to to the time uh, and availability and sprints you've got ahead of launch. And sometimes these edge cases, you have to turn around and say, yes, in an idea world, but do you know what? It's not going to fit in in time for launch and we're not going to scrap yeah. our business plan just to fit that in. 
yeah absolutely i think the, yeah a lot of the projects i've worked on is, have ended up like going with native in a, in a situation like this and then going back to it and optimizing yeah i know so many projects you start with we want to build the world and our checkout will be yeah. and then like two months later yeah we'll take the native that's fine thank <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, okay, let's move on then. Logical flow for a customer. You're through, you're into a checkout either as guest or, or, or um, you're signed in. What's the logical flow? Like you talked about simplified. So, what does a good simplified flow look like? Yeah, I guess, um, and again, this differs, I guess, depending on the business and like the different um, kind of countries being shipped to as well from that checkout um but overall i think yeah kind of um reducing the number of fields is always like a good best practice um i think shipping so like once you've uh, gone through that kind of account or email uh, piece and kind of um those standard fields i guess shipping address for me um and then from there uh, progressing on to payment and all of the kind of fields associated with that. But I think, yeah, within that first one. And then one of the things that I put here is, uh, and I was going to ask you about, is like autocomplete um, versus postcode lookup. Because uh, recently I've uh, kind of, with a couple of clients, done postcode lookup and I really like that. But I think it's also really easy to kind of go down a bad road with that. And it also seems to only really work with the UK um so yeah that that i think can really help to streamline the process but i was going to ask what your thoughts are were on when that. You, when you, so how are you define so autocomplete are you talking about as you type it yeah absolutely yeah yeah so um i think it so i think it depends on the tool like you take a, a marketing tool like locate it can do both you can use it to do it as postcode lookup and enter the postcode uh, and it will give you a list of matching addresses or you can do the autocomplete field where you start typing it brings the suggestions below and and it also handles international. So it's one of the best at handling, like um, it covers pretty much every country uh, most sites want to have uh, address validation on. And it depends how you implement it because a lot of times it's implemented and the default validation is for UK address. So if there's an international customer who starts to type a German address, the validation fails because it's not picking up the same structures. However, if you get people to specify their country first before they go into that validation field, then it works because then the tool knows that it should be default into Germany or Brazil, whatever it might be. So for me, it's the thinking on the site of what, what info do you need to do the validation correctly? I know with tools like Locate, within the type, the search suggestion field, you can, it will show a country flag and you can change it within that. But often customers aren't looking at that. They're too busy typing. So I think you've got to get people in the right place so that your validation works and think it through in that level. But um, I, I'm not, I, I've seen autocomplete work better than lookup and I've seen lookup better than work, work better than autocomplete. And typically it's because of the way things have been implemented. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing with that is um, the fields, I guess, as well, that you need as part of that um, process. I think with um, Locate, they do, um, they can localise suggestions based on your IP as well, which um, is good like that because that was that was something i was worried about with a project recently but i saw that they can do that which is pretty good yeah exactly and um you know it, it comes down to uh, technology provider selection you know there are other providers out there i'd say from the last like five or so years i've definitely found locate to be one of the most effective i've implemented it on a startup i helped launch in 2015 and it was just a the developers loved it it's the api is really efficient to use 
and, and B, the user experience is really neat and smart and they update uh, their records quite regularly. So we found, we looked at other ones, we found the address accuracy for things like new builds, et cetera, was a bit, bit better. Um, but people need to look out there. This whole point of UX, you need to make that assessment and decision yourself. Yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of flow, the one question that, that I've got on this is billing. Because typically people go through and they do personal details, either pre-filled if they're an existing customer or you fill them in if you're a new customer. Then you do delivery address. Now, where does billing sit? Do you have billing there where it's billing, uh, use the same address for billing, or do you see billing as sitting under the payment section? Yeah, so I think I would probably expect a pre-ticked use shipping address as billing address within payments personally but um i don't have any data on that just i feel like that's and i might be wrong on this but i feel like that's kind of become the norm to a certain extent what do you think yeah i think i've definitely seen that in the last uh, couple of years way more people have shifted that pre-tick box into the payment stage rather than where it used to be uh, originally which was as part of the address book which was delivery and billing it was it was either enter your billing address and then use same for delivery or enter your delivery address use same for billing but yeah. i see the logic of it by payment because it's naturally i'm entering my payment info now i need to, to provide my billing address for validation um i don't have any data either i've not tested that i'd love to know anyone else anyone listening if you have tested it please contact i'd love to see some some hard facts on that yeah i i'm not sure whether it matters massively as long as it's transparently obvious and you minimize data entry so it's got to be pre-ticked so that the customer doesn't have to enter another address unless they need to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you, you raised a point when we were talking about this episode about how you handle returning versus new customers in terms of like field filling, etc. Um, you want to talk us through your thoughts on, on what good UX looks like here? Yeah, so um, I guess with this, um, so you mean in terms of if you've bought before um and you've already like you've already got information on that customer uh, so if someone's logged in basically is that what you yeah, mean yeah exactly base it do do you pre-populate everything that you can well within reason you can't pre-populate cards yeah yeah absolutely so um i think with that um i would probably expect that essentially you have a default address um, within your account um, and that would be used and then you'd have the option of other addresses or adding a new address is, would be my, I guess, expectation. Um, yeah, on that one. And then payment methods would be the same, I, I guess, if you've got any kind of saved payment methods. Um, so kind of like the Amazon um, uh, kind of UX where you kind of have a drop down, you select all uh, from kind of payment methods you've used before. That again, I would consider to be best practice really, but um, I don't know how many people actually do that. Um, yeah, I think that that's probably what I would consider to be best practice. Yeah, and I'm all for, I, I've done a little bit of testing, but not extensive on this, uh, of pre-filling pre default information from account. Yeah. And yeah, it, it has had what seemed to be a clear uplift in progression rates. And it makes sense, especially on mobile, because. I, you know, I don't know whether anyone else shares this with me. I know mobile commercial rate is flying and mobile traffic is flying. I personally hate shopping on mobile. It's small, small screens, small fields, and I find it a nightmare when I've got to enter, keep entering data. Because if you haven't pre-filled it from your database and your customer record, 
then a lot of devices have autofill and autocomplete and often the data that's in there is out there or inaccurate you yeah. end up getting crap filled in and you're just like oh i've got to go back and redo that form so i think having controls about when you pre-fill from your database versus you are allowing pre-fill from devices quite an important thing so i think uh, that's a re- there's two really good things there that i've struggled with on projects in the past if one is uh, so one benefit of postcode lookup is that you essentially lose the issues with like data inaccuracy of um like the browser autofill which can be a complete nightmare and i've had clients um that are like really i guess like customer data led um that have really struggled with that in the past so that's one thing that's a nightmare and that's one of the reasons why we've gone with postcode lookup in the past um and then another thing with mobile one of my biggest frustrations is the iOS zoom issue on input fields. Um, and I've seen that in people's checkouts before, which I think is yeah crazy. And that's definitely like a UX nightmare where it essentially zooms you in as you start inputting into a field. Um, and that shouldn't be happening on a checkout. Yes. Yeah. Uh, there, there's lots of little things that can slow people down as I've seen it before where you have, um, a pattern where you've got the the uh, text label for the field within the box, and as soon as you start typing, it jumps out out of the box to the top. Um, and I've seen other ones where you have a label in the box, but when you start typing, it disappears. And the ability for the customer then to to go back if there's an error and remember exactly what that field was. I know some fields are obvious, but sometimes it, you get additional fields in the checkout, and you can't remember exactly what you meant to put in there. So it's little things like that can slow people down. Yeah. Um, so the next thing we need to talk about is payment. So we're moving on to the final stage before you submit the order. What does a good payment step look like to you? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, in ter- so one interesting thing with this is like, and again, I'd be really intrigued to see data on this, but how it'd be quite interesting to see the uplift in people essentially paying before they get to the payment stage. So the digital wallet payment methods that are usually made available potentially in the car, but within the first step in a lot of checkouts now. So shop pay being a really good example of something that I really like in terms of UX and that's really grown recently. And then you've got things like, yeah, obviously and uh, Google pay and um, Apple pay um, and various others that would, where you'd have the address information filled in as part of that kind of digital wallet journey um so i think that's quite interesting um but in terms of a payment page itself i think again just kind of keeping it simple like making it so in the uk obviously credit card is the biggest payment method so i think just making that really clear and probably like a default option um but then like these days i think things like klarna um and kind of various other payment methods are kind of almost expected um particularly for like certain types of retailers and then i guess if it's international so like germany you would expect so forth um netherlands you'd expect ideal like some of the and i think the other thing is um for premium retailers there seems to be like a bit of an expectation for some of the asian payment methods now as well um as part of a kind of payments page um but yeah and i think just like making that all really clear and kind of um allowing for as many like mainstream payment methods as possible without kind of making that um kind of cluttered yeah yeah definitely that point about when do you introduce the payment option is important because for 
for yeah, as you say, payment payment options where actually the the customer information is provided by that third party, like PayPal, for example, yeah. where like the the address information is in there. Then having that actually sometimes in basket, I've seen has improved. Uh, I've seen it on mobile conversion rates, improved conversion rate because it speeds it up. You take people straight into the PayPal. PayPal returns the information. The the caveat with that though is that uh, there is a reasonable percentage of people whose PayPal accounts are out of date. Yeah. So you can sometimes get information back that um, like maybe an outdated billing address, for example. So you can sometimes then create an extra headache where the customer then has to go through a loop um, because the validation isn't working. So just, just need to think that through carefully about if you are accelerating and what happens if there's a fail, how do you manage that and make sure you don't yeah. use that for that order. Um, I fall into that category all the time. It's kind of like the 3D secure piece as well, because I guess with all of this, you're trying to avoid friction in the checkout. And um, I forget my password for 3D secure every single time I use it. And um, it's the same often with like and with like PayPal or kind of any of the other ones. Um, and I, you can't, it's really easy to get into like certain checkouts I've been on. I've then really struggled to get back into the checkout or I've lost my car or whatever else. Um, and yeah, it can be a complete nightmare. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And that needs to be part of kind of testing, I guess. Yeah. And it's, you know, checking your current um, payment uh, um, methods and what percentage is PayPal gives you a very good indication of how seriously you need to take it. If PayPal is like two or 3%, yes, you need to think about it but it's not a, a, a critical decision in the same way as I've got a client that I think about 50% of their transactions go through PayPal. So if you screw up that journey, you've just completely compromised your new site. Yeah. Which is a bit, a bit of a bugger. Um, how about handling split payments and multiple tenders in, uh, in payment steps? And so we talked about gift cards earlier. So where, where people want to pay uh, by different methods. Yeah, so I think, um, again, a lot of this comes down to comms and, like, how you present options and everything else. Um, so I think gift cards, like, for quite a lot of our clients, gift cards is massive. And I guess, like, you, the ideal scenario would be that you kind of present cl very clear options to the user in terms of how that works. So, for example, um, partial payment by a gift card if you've only got X amount. So in an ideal world, you'd redeem your gift card or if you've already redeemed your gift card and it's like balance of a new account, like you would clearly show the balance in the remaining um, amount that then needs to be paid for by another method. Um, and then I guess you would have, if someone's got that within their account, you'd clearly display that as a payment option. Um, and then also clearly display kind of um, the redemption piece as well. Um, so yeah, and I think I think that's probably key, really, just making it really easy on that side. Um, and I've definitely seen that be an issue before, where people like so if people hide the promo code field, um, and then that you need that to redeem a, a gift card, and people are only really going through the checkout process with the intention of redeeming a gift card. I think that can be a bit of a UX nightmare. Um, but yeah, so I think um, yeah that with uh, the kind of gift cards piece, and then in terms of split delivery. Um, I haven't done loads with this in the past, but I think again, in an ideal world, and there's usually quite a lot of development work required for this, but I guess like comms and kind of options um, is the best uh, policy or the best kind of option really. So in terms of if, for example, one of my items is readily available and then the other one um, would be um, dispatched in like two weeks, uh, things like that, I guess, um, in an ideal world, you'd give the customer the option of like um, 
sending the two packages together and maybe there's a benefit like i know a lot of people highlight the benefit to um from a um kind of eco perspective um and then the other option would be that you could ship the first item fast and then you could display different shipping options for that um first item and then you'd clearly communicate any kind of cost incurred as part of that um, but again i think it just comes down to like so most natively a lot of people would probably um handle that outside of the checkout um and then i guess yeah if it's a big thing for your business um i think it's important to then just kind of do the work associated and kind of communicate that really well have you done a lot in that area um yeah yes yes in some of that um i think the the, the bit that i always find trips people up is there's there can be a dissociation between the people who are doing like ux thinking and design work for the front end and working with the people who are managing the order management logic yeah. and the logistics at the back end because to understand how you do split shippings um you know the the timings the costs you have to understand your your order management and warehouse management logic and you've got to map out all of those scenarios and decide what you want to offer the customer because every everything that you offer the customer has a um operational implication so the ops guys have got to be able to say yes fundamentally we support that rather than the, maybe there's a business policy that says we we only do consolidated shipping we don't do split or actually we we we, we can't offer cons consolidation we literally we dispatch everything that's available as it comes in to get stock out of the business so i think that bit that bit informs the ux thinking a lot yeah in terms of direct debit when it's just a straight direct debit transaction, that's typically uh, relatively easy because you've got e-mandates now where you can you can basically um, hook in to do um, real-time checks on the bank sort code and account number to make sure they're valid. So you can do pre-checks that help you minimise the impact for customer services afterwards when they try and put forward, put through a direct debit and find out that the uh, bank bank number the account number is invalid. So there are certain processes online through e-mandates you can do that speed things up. Um, and there, you know, there are plenty of websites out there using direct debit. The complexity becomes if people want to do um, a, a um, complicated basket where you have a, something that's on uh, paid by card, like a gift, and then you've got a direct debit, like a subscription. Yeah. Um, so like I'd work with a charity trying to, trying to figure that out, and that's quite complex because to do that in a single basket um, – because the flows are completely different. So I typically like tend to do the project with, with RHS and we, we, we looked at actually the, the sensible flow of sort out card payment stuff and take the money. That's the primary focus of the checkout, then push people down direct debit flow afterwards for those additional elements. Don't try and, and confuse the journey because otherwise we looked at it, the journey becomes so fragmented that a, it's hard to do technically and from a UX, but B the customer will get bloody confused by it. So keep it simple and say, right, pay for your stuff and then you can set up your subscription. Yeah, I think uh, I did a mixed basket project um, a while back and they ended up doing the exact same thing. Um, so basically, yeah, just kind of uh, after the initial purchase, then uh, kind of sending an email to start that direct debit piece, which was also managed completely independently in the end. So it made sense. Yeah, that's that was the 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 uh, outcome of the, all of the um, planning with the the, the um, development agency was get them through the core basket flow so the orders completed and payments being taken through the payment gateway. Then the basically the order confirmation stage is your order. Thank you, your order's complete. Now set up your uh, membership direct debit 
click the button it takes you to flow you do the e-mandate and submit online which is like one extra step so it was way cleaner doing it that way yeah i don't know the results though because um i was only involved in the initial planning so i've been intrigued <laughs> after going ask them, find out um okay so that bring that brings us to the end of the course steps what i'd be interested in um just quickly to touch on for people is what are typical issues you've seen beyond this that that trip people up in terms of checkout efficiency yeah so i guess um we've talked about some of them but my probably one of the biggest ones that's caused issues i guess is that um autofill piece um and i think so part of it is um yeah kind of conflicts in data resulting in inaccurate shipping information which then has an overhead on customer service um and then part of it is um yeah just uh, kind of other bits of data that then become inaccurate and then uh, kind of impact crm data um so yeah so i think that's a big one and it's actually really hard to uh, overcome um and i think yeah that postcode lookup piece is like one thing that i've done to try and get around it but it, it does seem to be a really hard thing to fix um just well, particularly with chrome anyway um yeah so that one and then i guess that that piece around the mobile uh usability with um the ios slash safari uh zooming um and i think you can get around it by increasing uh text size within the field um and there's a few other ways to get around it but yeah i think that's another one um and then i think the other piece is just international so um for example if you're if you are like i guess so not doing postcode lookup usually if you've got an international checkout you'd probably only do postcode lookup on the uk um, and i've seen that uh, kind of have issues in the past um, the other thing is different fields and different ordering fields uh, with international so like certain countries so uh, for example France and Germany um, uh, would generally have like slightly different field structures and they would also be in different orders um, and kind of allowing that from a single checkout I guess and like where and it's not always worth it but if you've got like a high proportion of people shipping um, outside of the UK, then you probably want to look at like dynamically changing the fields or the ordering or something like that. But equally, um, yeah, if not, you might want to end up just like unifying the fields and kind of allow it, just making sure that you're considering those other territories. Um, so yeah, they're probably mine. What about yours? Have you got any other ones? Um, the ones that have always bugged me as a as a, a shopper, and also bugged me in terms of the level of thinking is the ability to move back and forth in the flow without data being overwritten or having form resubmission errors. Um, that lovely bit where you try and go back from step yeah. three to step two and you've got, a, do you want to resubmit the data? You're like, what, what do you mean? Why am I resubmitting anything? Because most people will use the uh, on-page uh, breadcrumb that you've got in your checkout, but some people use browser back buttons as well and you've got to think through what happens if that is the case. Yeah, so I think it's just thinking through that journey and making sure that it's as bulletproof as it can be. Yeah, and um, one that's reminded me of one other one actually, which is like uh, something that I've done a lot with over the last year, and it seems to be an issue with a lot of people is um, the international handling piece. So this is much broader, but I guess it, it impacts the checkout quite a lot. So essentially, if I'm on 
the wrong store and I've gone all the way into the checkout. I've got various items in my car and then it comes to the shipping. Um, it gets uh, to the point where I input my shipping address and then say I'm on the US store and, my, and I can only, only have the option of shipping to like the US or Canada. Um, in an ideal world, and Burberry is a good example of this, I would be able to uh, switch store essentially and then retain my basket and remain yeah. logged in if i'm logged in and yeah. that can be really complex particularly like with platforms uh without the kind of multi-store piece um where you have to look at doing some kind of like single sign-on solution um yes. but i think that can be pretty big overall um That's a great point yeah yeah because there's there's a lot of um sites out there where each store is a separate storefront where the customer yeah. login is unique to that store and it's not absolutely um yeah that's uh yeah this this is the beauty of uh, these discussions right it's like opening a can of worms depending on the complexity of the business ux and checkout is is difficult and needs really detailed thought versus i oper- operate a single storefront and only dispatch in the uk and i've got simple products and i've got simple payment methods then it's like well actually bog standard native checkout is probably absolutely adequate and why would you need to to boil the ocean over it yeah, and I think with that one as well, like in an ideal world, um, if you if your traffic handling, like international traffic handling, is like perfect, um, and you kind of handle like different prompts and things like that perfectly, and kind of you nail the traffic sources and uh, you handle edge cases really well, hopefully that will never be an issue. But equally, I've seen it where it's been a massive issue, and the traffic handling has been like really yes. bad. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think it's it's interesting. This brings me back to my fundamental point that I, 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 I always hammer home with teams is create use case models because it, it's really hard to nail down UX flows and the interactions without having the use case model to go by that says this is all of the customer and business use cases we've got to satisfy in our basket and checkout. If you have that model and everyone's bought into it, it's so much easier for a UX designer to go through and go, right, okay, I now understand how I have to build this flow and what the dependencies are because I can tick off those use cases as I go. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, it sounds dull, and it, uh, but it's, it saves so much crap later on. It's amazing. If, if, you know, a few days of work on building a use case model can save weeks of, uh, of pain later on. I think um, the other thing, this kind of eats into the last question a little bit, something I've started doing recently is, um, and like, I guess most people do this anyway, but um, is kind of, so you've mentioned MPS here, uh, which we'll come on to, but like uh, that kind of first question around gaining feedback on, um, be it the checkout process or the whole process. Um, but uh, yeah, just trying to get as much feedback from the end user, I guess, and and try and kind of like learn because you're it's, like, it's rare when you go for a, a big project that you'll get this stuff perfect and there's always like little areas to improve and if the site's heavily international there'll always be little things um that maybe users will pick up on um and i guess the more feedback you get on that stuff um the more you're going to be able to like prioritize things and and you'll kind of be able to have like a, a decent backlog slash roadmap roadmap in terms of improvements yeah, definitely. I mean, that, yeah, feedback is, is a critical piece, isn't it? We, we can sit here as e-commerce consultants with loads of experience, of course, loads of projects and platforms and still make mistakes because we're a customer and, we, and every site is different and, and shopper behaviours change. So fundamentally, the feedback loop is critical. Yeah, the NPS one is um, an interesting one. And we, um, this is in the context of an order, order confirmation page. 
and what does it what's a good use of order confirmation and you see some sites just do bog standard here's your order here's your details and that's it others try and do like merchandising cross and upsells and promotions and get people into onward journeys and some like arena flowers focus on mps and uh knowing knowing dan barker runs satellitics and seeing what um so his clients are doing with MPS data and how they're tailoring their, their um, post-purchase customer service follow-up. I think it's a really smart use of that page. Is it, What's the most important thing after you've got someone buying is knowing whether they're happy or not and making sure happy people are driven into on, onward marketing campaigns and unhappy people have a brilliant service to rectify that problem. And it, it's, it strikes me that from a UX point of view, an MPS or a type of server like that is a bit of a no-brainer to have on the order confirmation step whether that's just on the page or whether you also follow up by email yeah yeah i I absolutely agree and i think um yeah like that that plus this like kind of asking questions i think it's just super valuable and but i also feel like that is like the most underutilized page in a lot of uh cases just where like you've got things that essentially now you've got something particularly if it's like a, a new customer placing their first order and kind of yeah promoting other product kind of promoting other things you're doing kind of the whole like UGC piece as well um kind of starting to promote that um yeah kind of getting more data from the customer yeah I think um there's a lot you can do with that page and um yeah and obviously it differs for different retailers but I don't think enough people do it Yes, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a missed opportunity. Like for me, the confirmation page is, is ripe for, for testing lots of different approaches. You know, the, the, the start of the journey for the customer is when they've made their order. So what do you do to, to, to learn from it, um, increase interactions, etc. So yeah, should be on everyone's testing, testing roadmap. Uh, cool, well that, that's brought us to the end discussion. Board. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think some really good points in here. And as you rightfully say, like, you know, you it's, it's kind of an ongoing piece. Like, you're never going to, or like, checkout can probably always be improved. Um, and it's just a case of, like, monitoring, um, kind of, yeah, researching, testing. Um, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so it's been a really interesting episode, actually. Um, always learn stuff from listening to you and the projects you worked on. So thank you. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for listening, as always. If there's anything we said you think is complete nonsense, call us out and give us a shout. I'd love to hear any uh, any different viewpoints. Um, and yeah, any other questions, then do give us a shout. You can contact me or Paul via the website or, or via um, LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, have a wonderful day, everyone. Bye.